This podcast is brought to you by Shout Engine. In less than five minutes, you can start your own podcast for free with ShoutEngine.com. Universe's live coverage of SEMA 2016 is proudly brought to you by Forza Horizon 3 for the Xbox One and Windows PCs. Get yourself a copy of Forza Horizon 3 at Xbox.com on Xbox Live or your favorite retail. Live from SEMA 2016, yes, another set of SEMA podcasts. It is uh, the Hooniverse Podcast, live from the MagnaFlow booth, uh, graciously sponsored by Forza this year and Fanatec, and I have to give Dodge a nice little nod, too, for lending me a ProMaster van to cart all this gear out and record everything. So this morning, we've got Cameron Evans from Redline. What's up, dude? Not so much. It's been like three years. I think we had you on the show the very first time we did SEMA. Yeah, when you guys just started going with it. It's it's cool to be here in the MagnaFlow booth. We do a lot of stuff with these guys, uh, a lot of the racing I do even personally and through work with Bimmer World and all that. And so we know the product pretty well, and and, and I listen to Hooniverse all the time, so it's good. Oh, cool. Well, glad that, glad that you know the format then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that there really isn't a format. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. This, we, we, it's going to be totally random from here on out. I'll tell you what, this show right now, it's super programmed, so it's nice to do something where we actually where we can just have some fun. There's a lot of people trying to make a lot of money on the floor this morning. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the nice thing about coming here is that we, I mean, we're so informal. Uh, I mean, you know the show, but everybody comes in here and then they feel like that they can just kind of bullshit for 30 or 40 minutes rather than go out and be selling, doing the hard sell on the show floor, doing the meet and greet and being formal. You can come in here and just relax, get a drink at the Magnaflow booth and just hang out. And I'll tell you, it's interesting this year, especially walking around on setup day, mm-hmm. for anybody who's sneaking into SEMA to go see all the cars, come in either early in the morning on Tuesday, like the minute the show opens to go look around, or on the setup days when we're, that's when a lot of us that have been in the industry for our whole lives, that's when we see each other, that's when we see cars, we actually have some time to look at stuff, and there's, the focus this year is actually on the cars, I, I mean, people are doing a ton of business, but that's all pretty mature right now, the stuff that may not be what you work on every day, but the cars you like, right. that's what's got people fired up. Is there's there's tons of stuff on bags right now at this show that all my friends are going nuts over. I mean, to me, I don't even think SEMA at this point is is much about the meet and greet. It's about showing off the new product and showing off the projects. Yeah, correct. Because, I mean, this is the 50th SEMA, I should probably say, in that you know, 50 years ago, this was very necessary because you wouldn't see the guy in Wisconsin that might be interested in selling your product, and you guys had no way of knowing each other, but with the advent of the Internet, that's that's done with, and now it's just hey, let's all go see some cool shit for a week. So what's interesting is, so my dad was at the first SEMA. Oh no, really? Yeah, and and literally underneath. I don't know if you knew this, but the first ever SEMA was at Dodger Stadium, <laughs> and it was held under the overhangs where all the snack bars are, and they set up all the little booths. I kind of wish it was still there. Oh my god, that'd be easier. Well, then you'd have to. Well, not for you, but I mean for me in Los Angeles. Oh I mean, yeah, it'd be, it'd be a lot easier. Yeah, I'm with yeah, you yeah. there. 
So what's funny, though, you're absolutely right that the industry's changed so much because you a lot of times back then when they're sports car racing, for example, there was no drift, there was no import tuning, none of this really existed. No, it was NASCAR, Indy, and, and drag racing. And drag racing, and there was a ton of sports car racing, yeah. but the industry wasn't involved in it. Yeah. So the industry it was all basically just gentlemen drivers at that point, right? All of this. So whether you like the drags or not, yeah. you got to credit the drags with bringing the business uh, into an event like SEMA. So oh, yeah, those yeah, were I all mean, drag racing suppliers, right? So what's interesting now is that a lot of those same guys. I, I was at the drags on Sunday with our teams, mm-hmm. with Coletta and some of those guys, and there were tons of people from all around different interests in the industry. So people see the Redline brand and they wonder, you know, why are you guys at the drag so much? Well, nobody hates it. Like the, yeah. start, the stock car guys can deal with it, the the tuning guys like it. Everybody respects you know fifteen thousand horsepower. It's cool, and the thing is, is it's instant gratification versus a race that could be not so exciting that might drag on for, oh, for God, a few yes. hours. Yeah, you know, which not to say it. I mean, there's a lot of great racing out there, but there's a lot of really boring racing. Out oh, there it's horrible right now. There's that some. I mean, I'm not a huge NASCAR fan. I could kind of care less. Yeah, but I, I mean, I respect it for what it is. Yeah, but correct. I have zero interest in it whatsoever yeah we're the same way so what's fun is that right now we have more of our you know just customers and people that like redline and are using our stuff in their in their cars Mm -hmm. that are kind of that are actually pretty responsive to drag races we got more guys that have gone to uh formula d in the last couple years that aren't your typical demo for going to formula d who do you have driving uh formula so uh, who i work the closest with than that is michael essa okay and i mean that an E46 with a turbo is, you know, SP4. I wish I w- it's unbelievable so, how much power and how simple that car is for what it is. That as far as we're concerned, that he's setting the trend. You don't have to run LS to be in a drift car. That yeah. he's doing it cost effectively with stuff that anybody can buy. Anybody could probably follow and do what he's doing. And the thing makes a thousand horsepower and it's dead on reliable. It, that, so that's what we enjoy about about. The setups. I'm not that into the LS cars that are out there, to be honest. I, I mean, I own I own a, a vet, so I mean, I have a certain degree of interest. But I mean, the thing is, is the LS motor, it's utilitarian in that you know it's not very distinct. It's you know it's I it's obviously it's the new equivalent of the 350 Chevy, but it's dead on reliable and it's a known quantity. Oh, oh, it know? makes it's, sense why they run them yeah, because in yeah. a lot of those guys, they've got to make that kind of power. They've got to make that kind of torque, and they got to do it reliably. There's nothing else. It's pretty expensive to go the turbo route for most people on that, but yeah. that's why. So we do so well in the BMW markets with Redline, both on the motor oil side, the gear oil side, and diffs and things like that. But when we see an S54, you know, drift M3 with a single turbo, that's there's some I mean there's some parts involved yeah. but it's basically almost anybody that's any good at this could make that combination like Mike has yeah so that's pretty neat and he's a cool guy and and uh, he gets it and he's involved with a lot of Porsche stuff that we do and so uh, like I said we like him we also deal with Gucci and a few of those other guys we have a lot of customers there mm-hmm. but we're so busy doing so many other things around the world in terms of motor racing and tuning and stuff that we it's hard for us to be there all the time that's the thing that sucks because I wish I could be there more yeah, it's, uh, but I mean, there's, you're the same situation I am, is that you're kind of running the show, and it's just like there's only so many places you can be at once. Yeah, that, that's true. And these days, my I'm racing so much in endurance stuff. You know, we do a lot of low cost endurance racing around the country with Specky 46 and BMWs that, um, 
yeah, trust me, there's probably this year I'm probably taking a little more time to do the stuff for me. Mm-hmm. But we run into people that like all the other stuff we do, so trust me. We'll, and I think guys like Essa will probably come out and drive with us and other stuff that we do. Well, I mean, it's important at this point. You've been at it long enough. You've put in your hours. It's just like you got to get a little enjoyment out of it, too. You can't you can't be all business all the time. No. I mean, no. I say that, and I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world saying that. But <laughs> Well, that's what's fun about coming to a show like this because this last couple of years I've had race car projects, E36s and E46s. Now it's like, let's go build something else. Let's go back and build a Japanese car. Let's go do something else. And so what's fun for guys in the industry is that you honestly get to walk around and see what gets your interest that might be your build for next year. You know what would be hilarious is the fact that you guys are perfectly suited as one of the few companies that could affordably do a rotary build with the amount of oil that they blow. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The rotary thing, we got involved with the rotary deal from the earliest days at the 24 Hours of Daytona when guys were blowing stuff up. And there's a lot of weird people, oh, you can't run synthetics and rotaries, and that's BS. It's not the, no, it's oil not the case, is oil. Right? Yeah, and, and it's not too slick for the seals. Break it in right and then run it on the right stuff. But what that... The problem I have, the reason I probably wouldn't build some badass four-rotor deal, mm-hmm. is that my ears, oh my God, I'm lo- I've lost so much hearing oh, no, over no, the yeah, years yeah. that I'm not sure I could drive the race car that's got that much noise in it. There's something specifically, and it's not even just that, anything super small displacement just screams at a certain, you know, at a certain frequency that's just... Well, a lot of things, a lot of stuff that uh, back in the day I used to drive in the Formula Russell series with rotaries, and what was neat about it was that when you over-rev them, it doesn't really hurt them so bad. It's not like you're going to tag the valves. Right. So, so many guys that are doing, uh, you know, doing track days or doing time attack or doing the endurance road racing we do, one little money shift and the weekend's done. So at least with a rotary, you can have a little money shift and and you're probably going to continue going. So that's kind of fun. And I should say... Joining us now is we've got Jason Connor. I got stuck on the on the floor. It's kind of crazy. We it's already you, started. We roped you into yet another year of podcasting from the show. It's floor. okay. It's fine. It's, it's all right. So what's up, dude? Oh, not too much. I just got here a little earlier. Uh, I was doing a drive for Hyundai yesterday, so I got media exhibitor passes. So I've been walking around before everybody else did. Uh, so before I got roped into the crowd rolling through, so it was very interesting this morning to say the least. Oh, yeah, I was uh, I was in here last night setting up all the podcast gear and. We've got these giant Forza uh, Horizon Three rigs out behind the behind the Magnaflow booth here. That uh, if you we're going to be publishing this this week. If you here at SEMA, come play them. They're fantastic. And uh, yeah, it was just walking around yesterday and seeing all the stuff with nobody here. I mean, yes, there's bits of carpet lying everywhere and everybody frantically unpacking boxes. But like you were saying earlier, if you can get in early, it's oh, it's the best thing ever. So yeah, we've been involved with Gran Turismo for a long time, but I like Forza a lot right now because I. I I race at VIR all the time, and to have to have VIR on a uh, on a game platform like that, that's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's that thing is. Uh, let's see. Oh, we're getting our headphone situation straightened out here. People, sorry about that. Um, all right. And there we go. Good. Okay. I'm happy now. I can hear everything. So uh, yeah, and, and the other thing is, is I love Grand Turismo too. I mean. Yes, I'm sponsored by Forza. Yeah, yeah, we sure. do that. But uh, you know, the GT stuff is really where the true racing sims started back up. So I give them a lot of credit. It's just they're way behind. They haven't. Oh, put I totally out. agree. They totally put anything agree. Out in so long, but I, I can't wait to see it because, of course, they'll be they'll bring the Forza guys back up and, and keep everybody. Well, honest. yeah, and they've challenged each other over the years to yeah. do that. But for guys like me that race, you know, twenty between twenty and twenty five weekends a year. 
Mm-hmm. For me, it's the circuits. Wow, that's so amazing. I, that's a lot of racetracks. Oh, no, it's here. a lot of racing. Oh, and it's all man. endurance races, right? So, we're so like last weekend, we were, God, where was I? Uh, at the Ridge at the Lucky Dog Series. Yeah. We've got a little Project E36 that we do there with Redline and with a lot of our customers. And there's a lot of, we have a lot of customers in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. And Forza, actually, the Forza guys know the Ridge really well because it's really their best local road course to yes, where Microsoft is. is, right? And I did four hours in the car on Saturday, four hours in the car on Sunday. And then two more hours of testing on Friday at Sears, and then the NASA race in Spec U46 at Sears on Saturday, and then we came to the drags on Sunday, and then we're here setting up SEMA on Monday. So well, it's been it's been a crazy week. It, it's funny that you're here because I'm here to present you the SEMA Iron Ass Challenge for 2016. Yeah, dude, what are we doing? Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Dude. It's oh. a race in of itself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we, funny, we talk about that as that. Uh, we're, you know, we've been the stuff we do with Bimmer World that actually like that Magnaflow is involved with that the turbo thing for BMW is starting to get better. We've got a lot of our Motorola customers ask about it because it's easy to do turbo kits on these cars now. Are you talking and about the the normally aspirated cars previously, or are you talking about the new turbo cars? A little bit of both. We okay. see a lot of guys bolting turbos onto S54. And we see uh, now that the cost of the turbo road cars has come down yeah. and people are so much more comfortable with buying uh, what they think was a scary 335 and actually making that into a track car. So right next year, we want to hit it hard at the biggest DE and track days and blow people's minds with 335s that that blow flames. I think uh, the three thirty five cars that shoot flames are amazing. Yeah. I love it. I the three thirty five is a car that doesn't get enough love. It's you know it's it's unique in the BMW lineup and it, it's about E forty six M three money, you know, but at the same time has oh even cheaper now. Really? Yeah, because people are totally afraid of them. So people are dumping them all over the place. And it depends on you got to look. If you're looking for cars, you got to be willing to go somewhere to get one. Because like in L.A., they sold a ton of them. So they're, they're you look on Craigslist in L.A., and you're going to find a whole lot more than maybe you're going to find in Seattle I, or you're going to find in so Orlando. You know? Zach that will be here later, um, you know, Zach was looking for these cars. And he ended up buying an E46 M3. But I was pushing on, like, look at the 335s. The L.A. market's flush with them. I mean, there's just... I can't, you know, they're slightly more common than a 911 in Los Angeles. That's basically how it comes out to The it. big difference is you got to add diffs to that car. you got to add a proper mechanical LSD to some of those because they're, they're iffy if yeah, you start throwing power at them. I'll tell you that right now that's in the endurance racing we do, like these little E36s that we've got right now, that you have to go buy an LSD. But what's neat is that... Um, you see, of, all, of yeah, taking weight out of your track car mm-hmm. is going to make you the most amount of time. Right. But the second most amount of time is getting the car to drive correctly with the diff. So we work a lot with uh, with Dan at uh, diffsonline.com. Right. And to work with him on a racing level and learn the difference, you get what you pay for. Literally, you put an LSD in any of these little chump cars or lemons cars where you're legal to do so, the thing is going to go two and a half, two and a half seconds faster a lap. Where are you going to buy that? And it's going to be more fun well, to drive. if you're doing any kind of racing anyway, if, I mean, we're talking about, you know, I was predominantly was after talking about the street car, but if you're doing any sort of racing, any car, you're basically going to have to put a differential in it. 
Oh, oh than, for sure. Other than like buying a Viper ACR, a 911, or a VET. Those are the only cars you're not really going to have to touch. And even then, that's arguable. But what's interesting is a lot of these BMW projects where be, uh, most people that don't know this, where they didn't come with LSDs because they used you know, traction control and other things to mm-hmm. try to correct mm-hmm. that, that you can find old 325 ISs that have those diffs in it. for So you can hop up E36 fast and find LSDs. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a lot of good aftermarket resources for it. We do a lot of gear oil for those guys, so we're trying to teach folks what the slipperiness does to try to get rid of chatter. There's a lot of guys that want to tune the diffs that start with, like, RNS and then add friction modifier to it because they want the diff to be more aggressive. Uh, there's a lot of folks that are changing ratios in these cars and are learning what the sweet spot is for the street driving and for track days, where 346 is a good ratio. There's guys that are going all the way up to 391. Um, so yeah, that's now that's what my bread and butter. That's what I do. So, do you guys have a really good explanation of things like friction modifier and things like that on the website? Oh yeah, it's on, all that stuff's on the website. But I can yeah. tell you right now, this is really basic. Friction modifier makes the oil more slippery. Right. The oil needs to be not a lot more slippery, but some. They needs to be more slippery so that the clutches work not only work properly, but so they don't chatter. But the biggest issue we have is that guys are putting. Uh, they don't realize that all the redline gear oil that they buy that's just a regular standard GL5 has enough friction modifier in it for almost any LST. It's very rare that you'd have to add it. Well, that and the manufacturers have kind of gotten away from needing a lot of it. They, they've, from what I'd seen from cars I'd worked on, they've kind of gotten away from like, yeah, we'd rather just have you just throw it in regular gear oil rather than needing to get the right friction. Because, of course... Doing that means more time when it's in for service at the dealer. And so, so there's so a couple on. things. So number one, the guys end up, when they add friction modifier, you only got to put a couple ounces at a time. You want to barely make the chatter go away. Because otherwise, you make it too slippery, you negate this expensive uh, limited slip that you just bought. Right. Number one. Number two, that there's a lot of mechanical diffs. If you have an, an LSD like a Torsen that is, that's mechanically mm-hmm. operated instead of a clutch type, that you don't need... A, you don't need friction modification to make that work. No. You're, However, you're the slipperiness of the gear oil cools everything down, makes it all last longer. So you got to remember that a slippery oil for a torsion diff is not a bad thing. It actually adds to the life of the gear sets. Hmm. So it doesn't it doesn't hurt. You want slippery oil almost all the time. Okay. The only time you don't is really good racers that are trying to tune how those ramps come in and how slippery the diff is because they may want the dip to be more aggressive. They may want a little bit of chatter so will turn in better. Interesting. That's, yeah, that's that that whole thing is like one of the few things that I kind of get a bit of it, but a lot of it is still kind of a black art to me. Not anymore, right? Yeah. So just remember, it needs to be slippery most of the time and okay. you'll be fine. And does it help if you've got like a diff cooler or something like that? Does it? Yeah, you know, that's what I deal with right now. So on my Specky 46, I've got a diffs online diff that is if it hadn't have been in the car when I got it, I probably wouldn't have justified it. It's expensive, right? But it's such an advantage. And I run this little Tilton uh, uh, diff cooler and fan that's automatically triggered by uh, AIM MXL2 dash. Oh, cool! So that if anybody see those AIM dashes, they've got two digital switches built into the back of the dash, right. and then I tune the diff around what temperature range. I'm so it's got to a little the thermistor oil. in there, and then you just. And then it's just triggered. So literally, the light comes on, the fan comes on automatically. So I can keep, if I want to get more slip or less slip on a certain track and keep it in a range, I can program the dash to control that while I'm racing, and it keeps the car. Or if I got a problem, 
and the thing's got a push, I can solve that push by taking some of the viscosity out That of sounds like a drifter's dream. Absolutely. Dude, this is easy stuff. Yeah. So that's one of the things that's frustrating with the drift guys is that, that sometimes they're so into what they're doing that some of the more basic mechanical concepts, they think it's more black art than it is. So that's where we get we get tons of emails that through redlineoil.com. And I, even though I've been doing this and ran the company for a long time, mm-hmm. I still answer a lot of that stuff for the racers. And I'm able to get them going in a direction where they mechanically are led to save a bunch of money down the road mm-hmm. and to, get, to run better. But so much of the diff is more about decel and turn in than it is about application. That's what right. most of them yeah. start learning once they start working with our gear oils. I wonder if there's a future in, in specifically in diff oils where magnetorheological becomes a thing, not unlike where it is in dampers, where it's variable at that point. Yeah, that. <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, the, the, I, that's more in the diff, and you can have that kind of control over the yeah. diff. And they've had it in, in big money motor racing. That's what I think you'll find is when is that going to start coming? You're not going to find it with the oil. The oil just make it run as consistently as possible. When you use PAO and ester like we do, the oil can be exactly what you target it for the longest period of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may swing, you know, thirty, forty degrees as it's going around if you've got a cooler in it, but. Other, other products may uh, lose or gain viscosity over that 30 or 40 degrees. So yeah. if you can get it to work consistently, I, consistently, I would rather, rather than the oil being tricker, I'd rather see some adjustable diff technology come to the aftermarket at a lower cost. Which I think we'll I get there. I don't think there. there's any of it out there now. I think we'll get there. I mean, I think people, I mean, we're seeing that in production cars that are not a billion dollars at this point. We're seeing it in things like Corvettes. We're seeing it in Jaguars. We're seeing it I don't know if the 911s have electronic diffs in them yet or not, but... Well, you'll see some of that in the OE road cars, but what we yeah. want to see is there's now... You know, when you're on the floor of SEMA 15 years ago, the track day deal, where we were into it, and I was the editor of Popular Hot Rodding, and I'm running all these uh, muscle cars around. We started a lot of that, you know, pro touring stuff. Right. And I can tell you that over that period of time, the thing that we're disappointed in is the guys that go to the track days, that they're not learning what why the dip is helping them handle so the driver education with a basic LSD and some guy with a super that goes to a NASA track day that he could learn so much if he's paying attention to when he cracks the gas and how he turns the car in that that's where adjustable differentials would be neat because then the guy actually learns what it was doing for him before when he had it on a different setting. Well, I think we'll see that. Now does that, that make yeah, sense? That does, yeah. It totally does. I, now that, I mean, possible. now that that stuff's making its way into attainable cars from the OEMs, I think that's when we start seeing it come into the aftermarket shortly thereafter. Yeah, and the other thing, just not to get on my soapbox a little bit, that uh, I've got a buddy who bought a new M4, right? right? And he goes to the Ridge up in Seattle or up in Olympia and, and, is, doing, and is learning how to drive. He saw all the all the endurance stuff. Interesting car to learn how to drive. Oh yeah, no shit, right? So here's what makes it funny, is that he ends up that the guys that are teaching him, who are all great local pros that that are good at teaching DE guys, they have to turn off all the bells and whistles. He doesn't learn to drive a race car yeah. because he's got paddle shifts and he's got all these widgets that help him. What we need are guys to buy crappy E36s that have to get driven. Or 240s or Miatas. Or, or 240s or Miatas or whatever or even, it's Even be. Mustangs and Camaros are cheap enough to do it. It just wears the tires out fast, right? Yeah, yeah. So just remember that all this technology that goes in all these new cars, it's great that people are making so much money that they're able to buy bitching cars. It's not so great that they really don't learn how to drive 
with all that stuff, and we need them to buy some cheaper, slower cars, and then go buy GT3 RS and be a badass because that's impressive. Yeah, I mean that's, <laughs> and this is why I'm hanging on. You know, no matter how much money I make, this is why I'm hanging on to my C6 because it's like the last of the fully analog. Totally. Yeah. You know, just like I think the Viper ACR right now is like going to be the last batshit crazy fully analog you know, mass-produced car. I couldn't agree more. So when we see Corvette guys show up at track days that can actually get it on, super impressed. Yes. But you see some of the Porsche guys are kind of leaning on it. It's not as much skill set because the car helps them so yeah, much. You're right. You have one of the last yeah. raw cars. And I think the, I think you can, I mean, I love the 997s and I really want to buy one. Oh, tell me about But uh, <laughs> I think, I the, think 996, yeah. the 996 GT3 is kind of the end of that lineage. Yeah, you're Porsche probably right. I haven't thought about that. You're probably right. The problem with those is they were forty five grand about four years ago yeah, and yeah. now they're 90. Yeah. The Porsche good, market's it's, so out of just, touch right now. It's ridiculous. So what's interesting, we've seen the same thing over the last four or five years with GTR, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that especially you see like the Optimus streetcar shootouts and things, guys can show up in a GTR and put the lap down because it's the easiest car to drive that fast. Yes. And But that was what, that was their goal. Yeah. Some of us would rather still be more connected. I want, I want that much power and that much grip, but I still want to have some control. Well, that's where you buy an R32 Skyline. Yeah, come on. Maybe we can find one for sale around here. I'm I I can damn near guarantee it. Uh, yeah, they're around. Uh, I mean, S- Matt had one. Skylines. I saw one when I was walking this morning. I saw a Hakoska Skyline just over there at the OS Geekin booth. Okay. And okay, so they have a cylinder head on it. It's an L series Nissan, right? L series block, and has the TC twenty four B one dual overhead cam L series head. The cylinder head, I think, is $24,000, just oh, the yeah. cylinder head. The engine, I was talking to the guys, it, the engine itself is seventy grand for that car. I can build a legitimate, nice race car for that kind that, of money. But the thing is that, I mean, here's the thing. Everybody goes RB, great. You're going to go throw an RB into a car. That's cool, but there's something about a hopped-up L-Series that just makes me happy. I don't know why. So it. it's funny that back, God, 1994... I raced top fuel with Doug Herbert at Fuji Speedway in Japan, mm-hmm. and that was when HKS when Kawasaki ran that uh, all-wheel drive on the stock car yeah, tires. Yeah, yeah. That, so when I was into tuner stuff, even though I was came from a drag racing family, I mean I built a Mugen CRX in 1986. So when none of those cars were on the floor of SEMA, I was parking it in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And so in 94, to have got to go to Japan for what we would know as standard kind of domestic drag racing mm-hmm. as an exhibition, to see all those cars that I love so much that uh, I was on it. But the, the thing is that the one thing I've got to get more in touch with is how to get, how you keep Skylines federalized in California. You start a business in Montana. Well, <laughs> hey, I live part of the time in Idaho, so that maybe we can do it there. Something it's just the California thing is is you just got to find a way to, to have a business in another state and register it there. Yeah, that's everybody I know that has them, they're all registered out of state. Yep. I, I just got to be a way to get it, but I mean, it's just such a such a weird little niche thing that to get anybody from the government to even pay attention to making an exemption for it, it's so small that it's it's not worth their time, it seems like. It's funny. We sell a lot of Redline in Australia, yeah. and you see Skylines everywhere in Australia. Oh, yeah, and I'm like, so and so. I asked yeah. a guy from, from one of our dealers, I said, so how many of those cars do they sell here? He goes, none of those cars were sold here. Those cars were all brought from Japan, just the same way you get them in California. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, we that we sell a lot of heavy shockproof into uh, 
into Skyline transmissions. So we've got familiarity with them. But I've been so buried in the stuff I've been doing. And I live in, you know, San Francisco Bay Area where you got one garage slot. Yeah, yeah, that's an issue. Well, yeah, it's a bit thing. of a trouble. It's so the same thing. In I got to move someplace cheap so I can have a warehouse. <laughs> but uh, up in that area, I uh, I recently went up. I mean, I've gone up a couple times to the mountains up near Santa Cruz, and Skyline Ridge and some of those roads that are up there are in Highway Nine. It's just phenomenal driving roads up there. I mean, I, mean, I love Southern California roads, but you've got some very good driving roads. In the well, area. one of the best advantages we have, some where Redline's factory is in Benicia, we're about a 25-minute drive from Sonoma, from Sears Point. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Where if, there's, if you're on a Saturday morning for a track day at Laguna, you could be there in an hour and a half, two and a half in traffic. And then Thunder Hill, which is very underrated, which we do the 25-hour with, or we do that race every year, that, that's only two hours away. So for us, it's not as much about the canyon roads mm-hmm. as it is being able to take to do real track days within accessibility when i grew up in southern california all we have is willow springs and i was so scared i was going to drive off and be in rock hell that, that, that. i you never you quite mean, went you for mean it. you don't you're not a fan of chuckwalla <laughs> i know chuckwalla is actually pretty yeah. cool it's okay it's just so flat yeah that's all right that's all right and it's in the middle of nowhere well they all are willow, yeah, but, big willow still scares me that we, track still scares the shit out. Dude, I, I did love a, it though. I did a NASA endurance race in like March, and in a in the same car we won the twenty five with, in the El Diablo. It's like a S fifty four E forty six old mm-hmm. world challenge car that we mm-hmm. bolted a bunch of Bimmer World stuff on. That that we had to do an enduro at night in the rain on slicks. No, thank no, you. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I hadn't raced there in probably twenty years, and I drove down with my friend Lance to go do it. And, Oh my God! I was scared to death. We pulled it off, and we were quick. We were—I mean, it was fine because the Hoosiers work so good that it, you know you get them up to temperature, and it'll still work in the wet. But oh my God, that was super scary. And I'll never get on the radio. Yeah. My buddy Lance telling me, "Dude, if something happens, just drive off because you're never going to come back. Just keep driving through the desert. <laughs> <laughs> Car's going to be junk if you drive it off the racetrack. So don't come back. You're in, you're at, you're in Rosamond. You might hit a meth lab or something up there. Who knows? It's, it's crazy. It is pretty sketchy there. It's, it's a scary place. Why is it every racetrack is just immediately around it, other than Laguna Seca, is just like dodgy as hell. Yes. So Laguna's interesting. So we have jokes with some of our teammates. Laguna, when you leave the track, you know if, you, if you've saved your money. If you're turning left, mm-hmm. that means you're staying at the Motel 6 in Salinas, and you're <laughs> yeah. going in and out. Oh, they have good Mexican food that direction. Yep. That you're going that way. If you're turning right, then you'll get a cocktail at Pebble Beach, and that's not so bad. So literally all of our buddies that race and pro guys and all that, they say, hey, you ran to Laguna, and they're like, dude, you turn left, you turn right. I'm like, oh, I turned right. And they're like, oh, good day, brother. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Excuse me here. My uh, phone is ringing. I'm trying to shut it off. So So what else did you see on the show today? I mean, I know it's early. Is there one thing, if I get a little bit of time to walk around with a sandwich, is there one thing that you saw that's blown your mind so far at the show? What is it, what's it been? Mm. Well, the Batmobile in front of Magnaflow is pretty rad. Pretty, I saw that. Crazy. That is pretty badass. <laughs> it's probably got a pretty big monster diff in that thing. Uh, yeah, uh, I was talking to Rich Wade about it last night, that, and we'll, we'll talk about it, that in depth. But did you know that thing's a full trophy truck underneath it? Oh, I don't doubt it. That's yeah, I mean, yeah. It almost have to be. It, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it, it is absolutely nuts. He was showing me pictures without the body on it, and it is a full-on trophy truck with tons of travel. It's 12 and a half feet wide, so they can't get it in or out of here until everybody else leaves because all the hallways at the maximum are 12 feet wide. 
So yeah, that's not happening. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely post some pictures of that later today. That thing is nuts. One thing that I did enjoy seeing, uh, they had the with the ZL1, they had the the Nurburgring lap that they just posted up, that Chevrolet just posted up. Yeah. They have that car with German bugs on the front of it. They didn't. Clean I it. saw that, and it's funny that Mark Stilo, who works at GM and we're on a lot of the ride and handling stuff, that he and I used to build these cars a long time ago, he told me about that and said that is the real deal. That is, not only is it the car, but, you know, all those guys are just normal guys that work at GM that post those laps. It's not like they, you know, no. some pro race driver, right? They're just basic engineers. They get certified nice. to do that. He really caned the shit out of that car. That was a, that car's a nuts. And that's 650. That's what they finally yeah. settled on for the power. That's and they've got video of it, too, so you can yeah. see the car and the videos playing. I saw a little bit of it, and it's just like, yeah, to, to bring any, uh, yeah. There's a badass in one of the aisles or one of the kind of walkways into the show. There's a, a little 510 oh, with, yeah. with gold BBSs that looks at first, you're like, what? And then you start looking at it, and it's an old rust bucket patina car that's done just right. Where was that one at? It's it's on one of the – if you're walking from the main parking lot across the street, and on it's like on okay. those glass walls where you're walking in. Got it. It's on those aisles. It's right next to – there. you'll see if you see the uh, McLeod, uh, the funny car we do with Coletta, that uh, it's just a couple cars down from that. And uh, so, I mean, it's – being bagged out, absolutely floored. So that, to me, right now, is yeah. the stuff with the airbag cars I've seen. I've seen subtle E30s on bags mm-hmm. that look great. I saw that. And well, the AccuAir guys, we, we did some stuff with them a while ago, and they make, I mean, the bagged out stuff is not necessarily a giant compromise. Anymore. No, 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 no. The, the technology in air shocks, that a lot of people don't realize that the air shock thing is here to stay. Like, you go buy a C-Class Mercedes, Standard road cars that you buy for thirty-five grand have air shocks on them, not you know hydraulic dampers. So it's you know what I mean that that that's here to stay. And as that technology from an OE side, as well as and as much control as the aftermarket's been able to apply to it, it's just going to get better and better. Where you get to have the stance you want with, without as much compromise. The rebound isn't there. The from a ride control standpoint, yeah, they're not. Yeah. From a performance car standpoint, it's still not there. Because you've got people like Olins and and, and Fox that have been doing that specifically in the mountain bike market for the last eight or nine years now. Yeah. And they're they're clearly doing a lot of their R&D on air shocks there because, of course, you don't want as much, you know, you want to get as much weight out of there as possible. Oh, for sure. I think they're learning a lot of their lessons there and they're scaling it up to motorcycles and then to cars. And there's still suspension fluid because we sell a lot of really, really lightweight suspension fluid into those markets. And there's still some in there, but yeah. you saw it in Moto, right? Remember when Air Shocks yeah. first came out in Moto, yeah. guys were like, "I'm not riding that thing," and eventually they figured it out enough where that's the only it. way that you can take care of it on on a bicycle or on motocross. I mean, you want that weight out of it. I mean, it's less of a penalty on a car, but it's it'll get there. It'll absolutely get there. It, it's cool stuff, but I mean, yeah, like the AccuAir guys specifically, the stuff we did with them was super impressive. Um, but. Uh, yeah, as far as seeing cool stuff around here, unfortunately, I'm running around like a madman just basically to get to the booth in the morning and get set yeah, up. Yeah, sure. But I saw a uh, absolutely gorgeous E30 wagon out front. Oh, and was, yeah. And it's just like, that is the proper way to do it. It was nice. It was red with gold wheels. And, yeah, that's fine. I don't need any. I don't need a truck that is broed out and just rolls coal at 30 feet tall. Give me the E30 and I'm There is a lot of that here. But I will tell you, the one thing that came out of it, just hanging around with all my buddies and the cars that you don't see getting built, the one thing that I want to build right now is I want to get an E46 wagon, Mm -hmm. S54 swap, and just build basically an M3 wagon. 
I, I know I it's been done, one. and I've no, seen I mean, them yeah. occasionally, but, cool. but I want one for myself. There was one up at, uh, it, not Legends of the Autobahn, but it was at, uh, at Mazda Race with Luna Seca. They had it at, uh, during the reunion. Or is it that, especially the reunion? Yeah, the because Rolex it, reunion, BMW was the honor yes, mark. So they had a guy that had a manual M3 wagon. And it was just incredible. It was perfect, perfectly done. Like it looked absolutely factory. I got some good photos of it. I'll show you here later. But they're they're pretty. It's pretty insane. And it's not. We do in the Specky Forty Six cars we build. We've learned so much about how what's easy to swap, what is it, what bumpers are out there, how you get all that to work. So that's I think is going to be my next kind of that. And that's really cool is the uh, taking the V eight out of an E ninety or an E ninety two M three and then shoving them into a one series that's because so awesome. apparently the cradles pretty much just bolt up. Yeah, it's interesting. So we built, we were one of the first guys with the, if you've seen the, the production V8, uh, Magnaflow was on that car as well, mm-hmm. that we did with Bimmer World for the 25 hour. Yep. And we learned a lot about those engines. And there's so much of this. That's, that is the swap going on right now. Yeah. And we see it's Epic and some of the guys down in Florida are doing V10 swaps. Uh, and racing with V10 swaps. So, so imagine E46 M3 yeah. with a Drunt sequential and a V10 to run in Trans Am against Vipers and all that. Ooh. So you could run anywhere. And it think, it's not that much faster, but it sounds so the badass V10 that it's worth the money. What are they doing for parts on those things? Because They fab all the stuff themselves. Okay, so do they ditch Randy Mueller's not a dumb guy. He knows how to get this stuff done, yeah. right? Do they ditch the Vano systems on those? No, you don't have to. You don't have to because that's the key that a guy like, uh, like Mueller is he's a, we were talking about it earlier, he's a little bit like an HP tuners where they're good at making at working on stock ECM or stock uh, powertrain right. modules and making it work that he's a guy that without having to put Motec on a car can make can make he knows how to crack stock BMW uh, ECUs right. and make them do what he wants well there's no reason i mean that to me is the it sucks with like, especially with the Chrysler products that have everything encrypted. You can't touch it. Oh, thing I got on news them. on that. Oh, really? So they, I was, I just talked to uh, PR when I walked over to the SCA booth. So they're having since we can talk about it's inside baseball now. So we can talk about it now because the podcast will be up later and the, the uh, release hasn't been sent out yet. Okay. Uh, so they are doing their new crate engines, and I asked about ECU tuning, and they are going to be allowing ECU tunability. It's about damn time. Because they have lost a lot of ground to GM and Ford on that front over the last decade. Oh, we see it all the time, and and we're you know with our application guides, and I actually do a lot of that stuff myself. Where I'm mm-hmm. building out the application guides. Just the way their cars come to market, it's more complex, and there's the platforms aren't as simple, the options aren't as simple. So that is interesting to hear that that'll help a lot of That's those students. That's a big thing. I mean, the question would be, well, is it too little, too late? But I mean, there's. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with the Hemi platform. It is as good as the LS is. It's as good as the Coyote motors. It's it's a great platform. It's just there were no options to work with it other than standalones. Maybe Jeff will get an ECU for his Wombat. Ooh, that would be There we go. Good. He can actually take it heard, uh, So our buddy Jeff has a, what is it, a W? It's a, one, was it, 124? It's like an 83, 300TD wagon that he put a, he got out of a, a pull from a 0405 Ram. Yeah. And uh, so he has a 5.7 Hemi that he's putting into a freaking BMW, uh, sorry, uh, Mercedes wagon. His his tagline awesome. for this is he's reuniting Daimler and Chrysler. <laughs> it's really cool. Like, it's a, it's such a cool idea. And, I mean, it's going to be a race if he's going to get his car done or if I'm going to get mine done. So we'll see how that happens. What is the status uh, of your Mustang? Uh, engine's in. 
suspend new suspension oh, it is. in. Yeah. So and that was Jason Engel helped uh, hook up that engine. He did. Right? He helped me get that uh, at a, a very reasonable amount of money to buy that for that so engine. So your car is what year is it again? Sixty-eight. Sixty-eight Mustang mm-hmm. with a Coyote motor in it. Oh, well, that's now cool. It's, it's not it's just the Coyote. It's I went with the uh, the Ford Racing Illuminator XS. So eight thousand two hundred RPM, five hundred horsepower, and a. Uh, and now it only needs a turbo. No. He's already. <laughs> no, I'm done with that. No, he no, had two no. of them, and he's. This is why he now has a Coyote. That, I had a 408 Windsor that it was all low compression, but uh, Carrillo rods, Molly pistons, a whole bit. Same thing that's going in the Illuminator engine, but it's it was built lower compression, four turbos. But it's just the cooling system on a car like that uh, for me to be able to do what I wanted to do with it. It just started to get way too complicated, and it was prolonging the process. So I just dumped the engine and starting with a. Coyote because it will work all the time and I'll be able to kick the crap out of that engine and not worry about it. And you can rev it, it up. Mm-hmm. That's fun. That makes that's, it go. That's the big difference. And then we went with Heights Brogy for front suspension. So now yeah. it's the Mustang 2 is gone. Yeah. It still has uh, it's still back half. It still has 12 inch wide tires out back. But, but, but you can adapt that. So that, it's funny you say that because there was when I left Popular Hot Rodding in about 2003 that was kind of the parting shot that I had was that some of these cars that were back after that you would think is almost as a pro touring car what does it take to turn that car back into something that adapts to what people like right now and you can do it it's just a matter of backspacing with wheels and getting it's all about you're going to have to make another rear end for it but uh but no, that's cool. That's uh, so it's, that's all four link out back. Uh, Curry nine inch. Uh, How big so a tire on it? Three fifty, uh, three thirty five up. Back. Oh yeah, it was just that was what I was going to mention. So, yeah, so it's, awesome. a, it's a two forty five up front, three three thirty five out back. So yeah, I'm running a, right now. I got a two seventy five in the front of my vet and a three thirty five in the back. And I want to. I'm going to shrink the back down and bring the front up a little bit. I'm going to try and squeeze like a three hundred five in the front. That'd be interesting. So when we were first doing uh, cars with Mark Stilo, uh, like the Mule and some of those mm-hmm. kind of early famous pro touring cars literally i'll never forget when that car was invented and mark and i were in a parking lot in detroit and he had a michelin catalog and he said okay here's the size of the rear tires here's the size of the front tires and the entire car built around the size of the tires okay and he said that was when kind of what the pact was if this car is going to change I mean, yeah, it ended up getting turbos and other stuff down the road. Build a different car. Build this car to that build and get it finished. And if you got another idea, don't start trying to adapt it. The problem is yeah. now we got a lot of cars that are done. It's too expensive to undo it. So yeah. now we just need tire sizes that will still work and be tall enough, not only from a ratio style, but so it doesn't look stupid. Well, the problem yeah. I've had as of late is the fact that it's harder to get tires now in 17- and 18-inch sizes. Everybody only wants to build big tires for yeah. 19s and 20s. Well, that was actually where we started working with Nitto early on, about 2000, was because a lot of uh, uh, Tomo at Nitto, I will never forget, it came to me and said, why are hot rod guys using our quote-unquote truck tires? I said, because they're the right size for their cars, and they're lucky enough to be able to match the tread pattern front to rear. Yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah. Yeah, So so there are tall 17s and 18s out there. But you got to look more oriented around pickup truck stuff. You're not going to see a Michelin Pilot looking like that. You're going to see yeah. other brands of tire that, that like there's those only cars. there's only like two people that make a tire like a 335, 35, 18 inch. on it and Michelin. Yeah, That's Michelin. Yeah, Michelin, yeah. Michelin, yeah. Michelin, and the Michelins Michelin. are. Or Toyo, you can get you can get R triple eights and things like that as well. I've got I have I and I wish they still made them the RA ones. Yeah. I had the RA one 
times on my bet, and that tire was fantastic. I think it was much superior to the Triple uh, Eights, but unfortunately, that's the way they went. So, and you see, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Hoosier and Continental now, because as now that Continental owns Hoosier outright, mm-hmm. that some of the fitments that actually lean more toward racing but are road legal. And for as, as little sometimes as we drive these cars, you're going to be able to get away with more fitments. And the tires, more importantly, like that Michelin, mm-hmm. they work. Yeah. They're worth the money. So it'll be really interesting to see as Continental raises its game using some of the exposure it has through Hoosier uh, to see what tires solve some of these problems. Yeah, and like Pilot Sport, I mean, uh, Nittos are great, but they're low treadwear, so you really can't. I mean, you can run the drag radials on a daily, but not if you really drive it yeah, a lot. Yeah, correct. You know, and like the Pilot Sports and Pilot Sport 2s are great. You actually get decent life out of them, but boy, you spend a lot of money on tires at that point, too. So, Yeah, it's interesting. There's some cheater, the, the some of the Michelin Pilots that you think are just basic, like, road car tires. Yeah. We use them in, in uh, Chump Car and Lucky Dog as E36 cheater rain tires. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable grip. <laughs> the most ridiculous grip. You don't want to want them in the drive very long, but if you know it's going to rain, yeah. that some of the technology that Michelin has for road cars actually adapts to the track day, uh, you know, light, I guess you could say light duty race cars, a lot of the low buck endurance stuff. Uh, what you Lemons guys would think, oh, shit, what would I be buying a Michelin for? I can't afford that for this car. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they need to have fun and go fast that weekend. I think it's hilarious the, the tread wear that they're shipping on some of these cars. Like GT350R, the Z28, the, you know, all that stuff. Or, like, even my Fiesta came with, like, a 100 tread wear tire on it. It's just, it's yeah, the DOT legal tire that we run in Spec E46, the Toyo RR, is, I think it's Treadwear 40. But it's not regulated, just so you know that. That's not like a oh, yeah, government yeah. standard deal, so they can move it around. Yeah. That's a problem we have is that a lot of the, like, have you ever heard of the AER, which the American Endurance Racing, mm-hmm. uh, that's growing like crazy. The best road race of the year last year of any type was Watkins Glen AER out of the box. 100 cars, all pro guys, amateur guys. No rules, right? So the cars, basically, they group the cars based on lap time. If you had the fastest lap time today, you're going to end up being an A, and they'd make it all fit. That's kind of cool. But the whole thing, you could bring a Porsche Cup car if you wanted, but you're going to have to run it on 200 treadwear tires. So knowing that there's 200 treadwear, the tire companies are starting to cheat it because they can write whatever they want on the side of that thing. Right. So, uh, And then it's just a matter of how much balance of wear guys get if it's worth running that tire for a weekend. Like the BF Goodrich Rivals, those are that's a fun set of tires. Yeah, we ran Rivals in Lucky Dog a couple weeks ago. I didn't like it as much in the wet. Uh, the thing got hot in the wet, but in the dry, it was definitely an advantage. Yeah, they've actually been BF has been coming up and really starting to push Michelin on some of that stuff now oh, yeah. too. Is at a way more affordable price. Yeah, they're not the the ri- prices on Rivals are pretty reasonable right now. In that two hundred treadwear deer, the, the Falcons are a pretty good balance. Mm-hmm. The uh, Dunlop Dereza works is I mean basically the same tire as Falcon, but uh, is priced fairly affordably. I, there's one tire that if your reader if your listeners don't know about it, these Canadian dudes that we raced had a Firestone Firehawk mm-hmm. tire that you would think like of a. I mean, who even knew that they were still doing those tires, yeah. right? I mean, I think of, like, rental V6. It's Mustang a Japanese Bridgestone. It's, it's, and the thing was, it kicked our ass, I'll tell you that. And we were wow. on, so uh, there's a lot of, that's what's fun is that if you have a car, a track day car, that doesn't see a ton of miles, best thing you can invest in is tires that you would have first think that, oh, I'm going to wear these tires out too quick. Not if you're tracking it all the time. 
Uh, and they move the water pretty good. They're pretty safe in the rain. Yeah. So there's there's a ton of uh, the tires. So what did we learn today? Tire deal and the diff deal is where yep. it's at. Yeah, exactly. All so applies uh, to the ground. It has to be there. So. All right. So we got to start wrapping up here. If there's any other like tidbits of information, because we've gone tires, we've gone diffs. What else do you want to impart upon our listeners? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that uh, we're gonna you're going to see from Redline this next year a lot of education. We're going to start breaking down the walls. There's a lot of bull out there over how oil works, what viscosities you run, Maybe what you videos? get, what you get for the money. We're doing an OE uh, approved. We just got Porsche approval on on a new special project that we're doing, and. I could yeah. There'll be some how-to videos, some stuff that we've done. We just did one, you know, for uh, for the Drive Network. That's mm-hmm. kind of that really, uh, I guess you could say, unwind some of this for for the folks out there that are dealing with it. It's really not that complicated. The oil business. If you know what you're looking at, you get what you pay for. So I think that you're going to see a lot of, uh, especially in the motor oil markets, the gear oil and the ATF that people are using. Guys, if we're, we've done a fairly good job. Where we haven't done a good job is letting people know how motor oil works, why it works, what you get when you pay for, and not to put too thick oil in these cars. Most of these things don't need a 60 weight. You could run a 50 or a 40. Yeah, I do have one last question, though, because I, I was a previous um, Volkswagen GTI owner, Mark Six. Yep. Had a dual clutch. Yep. And whatever the fluid that they have to use within, because every 40,000 miles you have to do a the full fluid flush on the dual clutch transmission. Correct. I own one of those. I own a CC. My wife drives a CC with that same box in it. That, it, how expensive that oil is, is, is ridiculous. It's pretty silly. Well, here's the key. There's a, the, the downside of that, of doing that one yourself is that I believe there's a reflash that you got to do to basically oh teach God. the transmission again. But we are the only people in the, in the world that do a dual clutch compatible. Uh, it's compatible with that ZF box. Mm-hmm. But and with the get track box, it works in a ton of these different. You can go on our site. I'm assuming you can see probably the, the new Tremec one that's coming out too. So, but we don't assume. We wait and we test. Yeah. Right. So I got to be careful there. But here's the key: is that we're the only one that does it with high end base stocks. So where we learned that 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 our it's called DCTF is our fluid for it. Where we learned how badass that fluid is is the guys at Exotics Racing. You know that. Oh, that yeah, yeah. yeah. So no one's got it worse than they've got it. I, I bet so. Especially they probably, if they've got GTRs, they've got 458s, they got PDK Porsches. They go for about 10 minutes at a time with some hungover dude beating on the gearbox in 110 ambient. Then they park and heat soak, and then the next guy gets in and does it again and again for the entire life of the vehicle. So when they came to us and said, what do you, can you help us on dual clutch? Because there's no manual transmission, synchro manual transmissions at, that, at Exotics because people would break the gearboxes. They wouldn't be able to shift them, right? The dual clutch is what makes a business like that work. Yes. So nearly all the cars have our dual clutch fluid in it because it's got a base stock. When you look at PAO uh, instead of you know group three base stocks and group two base stocks i know we're getting technical but this is what you pay for and it's half the money of an oe fluid that's good because the nissan gtr fluid's 40 bucks a quart you can buy mine for 18.95 i remember when it was like 70 dollars a quart too the dealer service on this car this is why i offloaded the gti by the way because of shit like this uh it's twelve hundred dollars for a fluid and filter change at the dealer for that car it's crazy and i was lucky because my mechatronic unit failed just outside of warranty, but they took care of it, so that's fine. I was happy with that, but it failed, so they replaced it under warranty, so I didn't have to do the fluid change. Oh, good for you. Because they did it as part of that service, but that broke, 
$2,500 later just for a mechatronic at the brain of the DSG. To, to so fail. just remember, oh. like I say, that we do a fluid called DCTF mm-hmm. that is, if it can take that kind of pounding, That's you good know then. it works. We are careful about which ones we say it's approved by, that actually we don't list on the label uh, GTR approval because mm-hmm. we know a lot of these guys are going to break these boxes yeah. anyway. And but since, yeah. since we came out with that product, the people that are proving that it works in, in GTR are the guys out at Exotics. That's but, cool. Yeah, it's so it the, it's a pretty interesting business. It's a way to learn a lot about our product. So top tip, GTR owners, get their uh, get the fluid from I didn't say that. We Allegedly. have customers that are very happy with that fluid in that box. Uh, well, you didn't say it. I did. Yeah, so it's go. totally fine. <laughs> but yeah, so that but that is the one thing that you're going to see in this market when you talk about what's going on next yep. year right. is that dual clutch cars, they are harder to work on. But they're coming into the marketplace. And we're going to see a lot more of them soon. We're now seeing dual-clutch race cars, you know, uh, E92 M3s that are getting turned into race cars with stock dual-clutch. All they do is swap our fluid, and they're good to go. And they're reliable. That, and we've got certain pony cars and a certain American sports car that will be having dual-clutches inside the next 18 to 24 Well, the car I just drove yesterday out in the middle of Death Valley, I just did the, uh, the press launch for the Elantra Sport. And dual clutch, seven speed dual clutch, and six speed manual. So here's the key. Before we go, do you know why these little cheap cars have dual clutches? Why is that? Because it's the it, from an emissions and an efficiency standpoint. Yes. So when you think about it, automatic transmission with a torque converter isn't very efficient. In, it, it's more efficient from an emissions standpoint, but not very efficient from a fuel economy standpoint. Mm-hmm. Take a manual gearbox, in which is still cost effective to produce in many places in the world, even though they don't sell as many here anymore, mm-hmm. that every time you lift on and off the gas to shift, that's a puff of emissions. So a dual clutch box is what fixes the fuel economy and emissions problem on cheap little cars. It just makes that cheap little car now cost 1500 bucks more than it did. Although that'll come down because we're going to oh, get Oh, absolutely. We're hitting that economies of scale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It'll come down. All right. All right. Well, I think we're going to have to call it an episode at this point because we got another person rolling in here in about 10 minutes. Uh, this has been uh, Hooniverse Podcast brought to you by Magnaflow, the fine folks at Forza. Go get yourself a copy of Forza Horizon 3. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. It's a lot of fun. I you wasted way too much a cone, time on You it. can jump a Koenigsegg into a tree. And, Anything uh, you want. Yeah, you can. And then, uh, of course, Fanatec with their uh, with their kick-ass wheel setup. If you've not played one of those. I'm all over it. And yeah, I'm... Yeah, yeah. I'm, ju- I'm this is not lip service. I'm about ready to invest in Xbox so I can do Forza. Do there's cir- like I said earlier, I'm, there's circuits that I want to drive in there. Well, yeah. do it. It's, and it the Fanatec helps. thing is cool. I've had cheap steering wheels, so I'm ready for a good one. I've got a, I've got a little part I can get for you when uh, when we're done here. All right, Dan, Cameron, thank you so much for coming out. No, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, have a great uh, week, man. Have, have a blast. That's what we're here for. we got to sell some stuff, too, but let's have a blast. <laughs> All right. Of course. Thanks.